This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome, welcome to this special episode of the On Call Empath. You're listening to the Top 10 Recovery Podcast on the web, but we also have to announce to celebrate 200th episode. Guys, I never thought I'd make it this far, to be honest, but 200 episode. It feels amazing. And I wanted to do something special. I've been getting a lot of people writing in about certain topics. So I wanted to tackle the topic of neurodiversity. um, And I wanted to bring in a expert who really understands this issue. Her name is Melissa Jackson. She comes from a background from helping neurodiverse kids and their families. Um, I think you guys are going to get a lot out of this, especially if you have kids that have ADHD, uh, dyslexia, um, and a lot of those things, you know, growing up, you know, there, these are terms that were thrown around that I was going through and I just was going with the flow. I, and then when I heard all these scary terms, I was like, I'm doomed. I'm just going to be like this all my life. So I was curious myself, like, how come, like, as you grow older, like none of that stuff that they labeled me as has any impact of my career, my life, my success, none of it. Like I've done so much in my life, regardless of the labels. So if you're out there and you're listening to this and you've been diagnosed with, you know, a certain, you know, learning disability, ADHD, or your kids have it, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Obviously, this is not medical advice. This is just a conversation between me and Melissa Granted, she um, has uh, a certificate in twice exceptional education, currently completing her master's in cognitive diversity in education, but she brings a lot to the table, guys. This is something that I think you'll get a lot out of. Um, She also um, is an expert in EFT tapping. She has videos as well, which will um, you can sign in and you can get weekly updates and newsletters. So um, this is definitely something you guys are going to you know, really get something out of all the links will be in the bio. If you're an HSP empath, you know, this also has a lot to do with you guys. So I suggest you listen up, um, because she's going to really break down, um, you know, neurodiversity, how it overlaps, you know, especially from HSP being an empath and how that overlaps into neurodivergence. Um, and then also how do you support families with neurodivergent kids? So we're going to get all into this. I'm so excited. 200 episodes, guys. Couldn't have it done it without you. Stay tuned. Let's go ahead and get started. Hi, guys. This is Melissa Jackson. I'm talking with Raj today on the on-call empath about neurodivergence and how that correlates to being highly sensitive and empathic. Check it out. You're listening to the On Call Impact Show. All right, guys, we are back for a very, very special episode today. This is the 200th episode of the On Call Empath, and I wanted to do something special. And I have a very special guest today, Melissa Jackson. She is a neurodiversity advocate, educational consultant. And today we're going to be covering a lot of great topics from ADHD, dyslexia, anything you guys have, any 
uh, questions about about those topics, this is the episode you definitely don't want to miss. Melissa, it's an honor to have you. Welcome to the On Call and Path and the 200th episode. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yes, yes. And I was just kind of watching you on Instagram and some of the content that you have really spoke to me. And I know there's a lot of people listening. Maybe you have kids out there. Maybe you have um, been through some trauma growing up, especially with learning disabilities and dyslexia and ADHD. Um, and these are some of the things we're going to be covering today. But Melissa, I know I, I talked a little bit about you before we enter this podcast episode. Tell us a little bit about your experience growing up as a neurodivergent child in school and let us know exactly how you became who you are today. Yeah. So thanks for asking. I grew up, um, you know, 80s and 90s in public school education as an undiagnosed dyslexic child with ADHD. And, you know, at that time, there was just very little awareness around neurodiversity. And so, I felt pretty lost as a kid in school. I was kind of just, I knew I was smart, but yet the messages I received from my environment really reflected back to me that I wasn't because I just didn't fit into the traditional box of education. It just didn't work for me. Um, you know, I had ADHD and at the time I didn't I didn't realize that the reason I couldn't focus or the reason when a teacher called on me, I didn't know the answer was because I had difficulty regulating my attention. I just thought that must mean I'm not very smart. And so what I took on from a really young age was this internal message that I'm not smart and I've got to fake it so that people kind of maybe think I am, right? And so school really became this like, game of how do I fly under the radar? How do I not call attention to myself? And how do I avoid feeling humiliated and embarrassed by being called on to read out loud or being, you know, asked a question when I wasn't listening or, you know, so it really, all of my energy went towards this sort of like survival state. I was really like in fight or flight all the time in school. And, um, you know, as a result, that manifested in physical symptoms. My hair was falling out on and off. Um, I had chronic stomach aches. And nobody really understood why. You know, like when I was diagnosed with alopecia, it was like, oh, it's stress-induced. But it was kind of like, we don't really know where the stress is coming from. It was, it was just not understood, my internal experience. And as a young girl with ADHD, oftentimes we look really different than the stereotypical uh, behaviors we think of that tend to be in young boys. And I wasn't disruptive. I wasn't a behavior problem. Um, you know, I was I was really that quote unquote good girl who conformed and followed the rules. And, um, you know, again, it was like, don't call attention to yourself, just kind of fly under the radar. And yep. what translated to was like, slip through the cracks and get further and further <laughs> behind and internalize more and more negative messaging that this means I'm not smart and I'm not capable. And it really impacted my self-confidence and self-esteem on so many levels because of this just really strong messaging I received from my environment. And I was also highly sensitive, which I think a lot of, you know, neurodivergent people are. So I picked up on all those things, spoken and unspoken. I, I was absorbing it all. And so 
school was a really um, traumatic experience for me when I was a kid. And it took, it's taken a lot of years to unravel, you know, that internal interpretation of the school environment. Yeah, it was a nightmare for me, to be honest. Um, I think what we go through as a, as children, you know, especially those those ages where we're so influential and you're wondering why, you're, you know, I know at least for me, it was like, why am I in like the lower classes or, you know, why can't I pick up these these concepts? And, you know, we had different groups and everyone would know like, OK, if you're in this group. That means you're kind of like not in the in the AP group or whatever. So we had classifications and labels and stuff like that. And they, I knew there was something going on there as a child, you know, especially on the playground when you're with other people. And then then you go to the experts, like a lot of these experts, these therapists, uh, people that specialize in this. You know, I I actually went to one. I remember when I was like, what, 13, 14 and everything that they said out of their mouth at that moment, Jace basically changed my life course forever. Mm-hmm. Like, I still remember that guy's voice and the, the man that was right in front of me telling me like, OK, telling my mom, actually, like, OK, this guy, you know, he has this. He, he has some problems with, you know, analytical stuff like he's really good at this. But like we don't see him going very far. And when you're hearing this, you're taking it in and it just it crushes your confidence, your, your ability to, to even put in the effort. Cause then you just feel like you're dumb or you have something wrong with you. And there's a lot of people that are out there, especially the ones with, you know, kids, you know, they go to these specialists and they tell them like, you know, all these terms and stuff, which is very scary as a child in your experience, like, I guess to somebody that's listening right now that might be going through it themselves with maybe their kids, or maybe they went through it as a child. How do you process like, you know, all these, these things going to, let's say an expert looking for these answers. Is that usually how it works? Is that like um, something that people normally do? Like, okay, now we got to figure out what it is so we can solve the problem. Right. Right. Yes. So yeah, it is um, important to have your child formally evaluated. If they're struggling, the environment's not working, and you're seeing these red flags, information is power. So I, I always encourage people to have their child evaluated. Um, and if you're in a, a public school setting, that can look like putting in a written request, you know, an email to your teacher, your principal, here's what I'm seeing as a parent. I'd like to have my child tested and they are obligated to provide that service for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem and the sticky part and where I kind of come in to support families is that our educators and medical professionals have been trained in a deficit model. So what that means is parents typically get back these reports and this language, kind of like what you're speaking to that are listing all the things that are wrong with the kid, you know, and here's, all the labels that really hold all of these kind of the undertone is here's the lack, here's the disorder, here's the deficit, here's all the things that, you know, they're not capable of doing. And they're not really looking for, but what does the child do well? You know, what, where is their strength and what are they interested in and how can we shift this to make this environment work better for them? You know, it's all about that the environment's fine and let's fix your kid. And so 
Mm-hmm. Um, what I really encourage families to do is to ask, you know, especially if you're going privately and you're paying for testing, are you neurodiversity affirming? Because what that means is that they should be aware of the neurodiversity movement. They should be aware that we're not trying to fix kids, that we understand that these aren't deficits and disorders. These are differences. And we can accommodate those differences in a way that supports self-confidence and enables the child to experience to experience success in the classroom. So I always tell people, you know, the way the terms that people use is even like a good indicator of if they're neurodiversity affirming, if they're using a lot of like disorder deficit rather than difference or looking for strengths versus here's all the things we need to fix about your child and and here's all the negatives. That's you can immediately tell that they're really still operating from the old school traditional lens we've all been trained in, including myself as an educator of, you know, what's wrong with kids. And that right. that messaging is just so devastating for parents and children. And mm-hmm. I just think the way that we we view kids and talk about kids um, is so powerful. Just, I mean, your experience alone speaks to that, right? And um, so, yeah, it's just important to know who is conducting those assessments and to take that information with a grain of salt. If you receive something that is really devastating, that's not the end all be all, you know, find someone who can interpret those results for you in a more strength-based way. Very well said. And now one thing I want to do point out to all my listeners out there is just because you went to one person does not mean that is a death sentence. I know for me, it was like, they were showing me like, like these spectrums and like here was like a retarded person like literally he said that word and here where I was and now it's just it makes me so angry you know like back then I didn't know any better I just took their word for it and now here I am you know I've accomplished so much schooling you know jobs podcasts but I wrote a book you know all these things like how is it possible Mm -hmm. if I was labeled all those things you know because everyone learns differently. It's just a different style. No, I don't really think someone's like, can be just dumb. Like, I mean, that's what I was, I felt like I was labeled as. Mm -hmm. And so when I found like my passions, like I play guitar, like no one's business, Mm -hmm. I can't read it, but I can listen to it with my ears and like musically, artistically, like there are things that I do superior than most people but then when it comes to like schooling math and all that kind of stuff it kind of blows over my head mm-hmm. um unless it's like a visual thing that's why like i'll do videos instead of like reading it just hits me a different way and i just found what works for me so if you guys are listening and you're stuck and you're frustrated or if you have a child that you've tried everything and you've been to so many specialists and you can't get anywhere maybe it's you know it's just there's a different style for everyone. And and that brings me to my next question here, just kind of switching gears is if somebody's an empath or a HSP, how does that overlap to neuro- neurodivergence, would you say? Um, you know, what I found is that being HSP or highly sensitive is a very common attribute found in neurodivergent people. Um, and, you know, just because you're highly sensitive doesn't mean you're neurodivergent or vice versa, but I do think it's something that often correlates with neurodivergence. Um, We tend to be really sensitive, empathic, pick up on 
messaging that might be lost on other people. And it's all the more reason why getting in touch with what children do well and really getting curious about their, the, you know, comprehensively what their learning profile looks like, just like your experience. Like maybe it's not rote memorization of math facts, but maybe you're musically gifted. Right. You know, yeah. maybe if you <laughs> provided the opportunity to watch a TED talk or listen to an audiobook, yeah. rather than having yeah. to read, you could be contributing in ways that are superior to your neurotypical peers, right? Because you might be even processing that in a deeper, more sensitive, complex way. But when you're told, here's a time test, memorize this, read this out loud, mm. your anxiety's through the roof. You right, down. right. And then all of a sudden you're like, I must not be smart. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> you are. It's just, we right. have to understand right. what kids need. What do they need to receive this information yeah. to be successful? And, you know, it's just even, I feel like it's more um, critical when kids are highly sensitive because yeah. that messaging is so damaging, right? You carry yeah. that internally and it does, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy of like, I'm not smart, I'm not capable, which just isn't true. We know that so many neurodivergent people like you are successful entrepreneurs yeah. and, you know, they tend to do things outside of the box and that's why school yeah. doesn't work for them. Right. But life is outside oh, yeah. of the box, right? Yeah. Successful people do yeah. things outside of the box and that's valid. Yeah. So, I mean, back when I was growing up, I mean, the only way to be like I thought was successful is go through school, get good grades, go to a good college and so on and so forth. Today, anyone that's listening, there are so many different ways. There are people that are in high school that are dropping out and opening their own business and make being millionaires like we are in a, a era right now where you can just on your cell phone, you can make anything happen basically with minimal and everything's online too. Like you can learn online a certain way. If you have a different style for me, it's visual and audio YouTube videos. I figured it out myself. Like, but when you're in a classroom full of other people and you have that anxiety and you're, you, you identify as an empath and you're kind of like, kind of always in that fight or flight. And you, you know, you, how are you going to concentrate? That was my issue. It's like, how do you calm down the nervous system? And I, and I know that you do the tapping and, and I'll get to that in a second, but ways to kind of calm our nervous system down at that moment. I didn't have those tools. So that's why a lot of the stuff that, that, that you do, I think is going to be vital for, for, for people that feel stuck, or maybe there's a, uh, somebody that's listening right now with kids that they've tried everything and they've tried the traditional way, but I'm here to say, and I, I would hope that you would agree that there's other ways to skin a cat, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's about getting curious. You know, it's not a one size fits all. It's what yeah. works for the child in front of me. And let's ask those questions. And that's a lot of what I do is I have strength-based assessments that really get to the root of like, mm where are their gifts? Where are their talents? Where are they most interested? And how can we bring that into what they need to learn in the classroom so that they feel good about themselves and they have that buy-in and want to do it, you know? Right. Um, and that's very, it's possible. So yeah, I just think that um, really reframing the way we talk about kids and getting curious about what they do well goes so far. Yeah. And always like 
I wish I had that like motivation or someone telling me, oh, you can do it, you know, rather than just looking at his test score and just basing your whole worth on that number. Right. You know, that's that's how we were graded. You know, it was a, you know, Scantron test. Yes. And if you're a 75 or above or, you know, it was right. always like a cutoff point, but yeah. it's not black and white like no. that. There's, you know, there's so many ways. So, so just um, what I want, people to understand is what you do and how you support families with uh, neurodivergent kids. What does that look like? Let's say somebody comes to you. How, how, tell me a little, walk me through the process of, of what you do exactly. Yeah. Well, it's really, again, not a one size fits all. And like we're kind of talking about as neurodivergence, being entrepreneurs and creating our own jobs and creating our own, like, oh, there's a need. I'm going to feel, fill that need. Like, that's sort of the beauty of um, the world we live in today and having a neurodivergent mind. We're really good at that. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, what I do for people is, is um, it's not a one size fits all, but for people who have had their child formally evaluated and have that, you know, diagnosis and the labels and are really looking to better understand mm -hmm. what does this actually mean? How can I interpret this through a strength-based lens? Mm -hmm. How can I su um, support my child in more, a more positive way, that's where I am sort of the bridge between the parent and the school and can help interpret that diagnostic evaluation, which can be very overwhelming and disheartening. And I create strength-based reports where we do strength-based assessments and I help parents um, figure out tools and strategies and accommodations that are really aligned with their child's interests and strengths. And then I provide that information um, to the school that they can include as an addendum to their IEP or learning plan or 504, or even just as a conversation starter, you know, empowering parents to be collaborative members of these, these teams, because they are and their, their opinions and their insights matter. You know, no one knows our kids better than us as parents and our, our input is valuable and being able to contribute in a positive way and really under bringing that insight to the school um, makes such a huge impact on the child's experience. So that's, Absolutely. that's the main thing I do. I'm also working on providing um, some more emotional regulation strategies for parents. Um, I'm currently putting together a meditation vault that, uh, mm -hmm. is catered specifically to highly sensitive neurodivergent kids and things that they mm -hmm. often come up against, like anxiety in school and trouble sleeping and negative mindset. And um, so that's something that's coming soon. Um, emotional regulation is such a big part of navigating mm -hmm. <laughs> the neurodivergent, highly sensitive yeah world. So I think the more tools yeah. we have in our toolkit, the better off. Right. We are. Now, one thing I want to just point out there for everyone listening, obviously, this is not medical advice. This is yeah. just us talking. So definitely go see a medical provider if you're having some severe issues with your child or yourself. But that leads me to this question. So normally in schools, do they, I mean, I know like back when I was there, there was like a school psychologist or somebody um in-house like nowadays like is that something like what is the process today like can somebody just go to you or like how does that work like because i know like sometimes schools have like a like a school psychologist or, or somebody that they send them to uh what is your role in, in all of that with the schooling system 
Yeah, I don't work directly with the schools. I work independently with family. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But there okay. is, you know, there are psychologists and people that work for the school that that would be the route if a parent is concerned and would like to have their child formally evaluated. Evaluate. Yeah. That would go through that process and they would receive feedback from the school um, that would then drive, you know, either a 504 or an IEP. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, unless the school is really kept up with neurodiversity um, affirming approaches and updated, you know, their faculty and staff on, yeah. then what you receive might be disheartening. And that's where I yeah. typically come that's in. That's where you come in. Okay. Yes. So wrapping up here, I'm going to give you a, the last word here. Um, so let's say like you went into a time machine and we went all the way back to your childhood. And we're talking about yourself, your your experiences, based on everything you know today and all the expertise that you have and all the knowledge. If you went back to help that person and you wish you can tell them something um, or you wish that they had some more resources back then, what would you do differently or tell that that little girl like back then what that was just confused and and, you know, things weren't going as according to plan? What could you what could you say to that person today? Oh, that's such a sweet question. Um, yeah, I think I would tell her how smart she is. And I would point out all the things she's really good at. And I would acknowledge that her sensitivity and her empathy um, were not weaknesses. They weren't too much. Mm-hmm. They didn't make her bad or wrong, but they were gifts and that were that were valuable. Mm-hmm. And I would really let her know that just because the gifts she possesses aren't always traditionally seen in the classroom doesn't mean they're any less important. And if you guys notice what she did was see that that support. And there's so many people that I talk to that people don't have that support growing up. Yeah, There's an absent parent or they're supporting themselves somehow but to get that mind frame i feel like everything that you say to yourself or what you believe that's what you become and so when you don't have that um that background of somebody helping you or or just processing through things like a therapist or you know a friend how are you supposed to get the confidence as you grow older? Because you might have those negative self-beliefs that keep going in a loop. And that's, that's what I keep seeing. And to break that, and that's where you come in. um, I think that's where the work that you're doing is, is amazing. And and that's why I wanted you on this podcast, because what you're doing is amazing. I wish I had someone like you back when I was growing up, but unfortunately it was like black and white, you go to a therapist or or a doctor and they do the evaluation and that's that, you know, either pass or fail. And it's just not like that in, in, in our era right now. Right. Yes. And I feel like so many of us who grew up in that era experienced that. And so then as parents, we're oftentimes (laughs) reparenting ourselves to show up the parent we want for our kids. And it's just all, it's all a process, but yes, I, so with you on the negative self-talk and like catching those moments when we're going down that, you know, loop, that rabbit hole and being like, nope, shifting gears and how powerful that is, right? When we can just shift it to something more yeah. positive. Absolutely. Well, Melissa, it was been a pleasure having you on this podcast. I know a lot of my listeners are probably, you know, 
um, going through something similar. If you guys want to reach out to Melissa, I'll have everything in, in the notes below. Definitely reach out, check out her Instagram. I'll have a link to Oliver um, tapping course and emotional regulation. Everything will be in the bio. So go check her out. But before we leave here, um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. And you're always welcome back. So <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> Excellent. All right, guys, stay tuned. We have a lot more guests coming this season. We just passed 200 episodes. Got a lot more to go. Um, so stay tuned and always keep moving forward. And we are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.